The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. As much as he's making the right noises for, uh, you know, Israelis and, uh, you know, uh, the Canadian Jewish uh, folk who are very, you know, it's a large population too, I think approximating about 400,000. He's also, uh, on the other side of the ledger, given $66 million in aid to uh, the Palestinian cause, meeting with Mahmoud Abbas in the, uh, the Palestinian Authority. And since 93, Canada's poured $650 million in aid into that area of the world, uh, you know, some people might quibble. I've seen some of the comments uh, on the online versions of uh, the story saying that, uh, what are we doing? We're just sinking money into a, a rabbit hole or a black hole. It's, uh, But many might see it as a good investment. Uh, what do you say, Justin Trottier? Well, when we're talking about a level of funding like $60 million per year for five years, so $300 million, um, we, we do have to have legitimate debates about whether that money is being well spent. And it's not specifically when it, when it goes to the Palestinian Authority. It's any use of foreign aid uh, with respect to funds that, that might otherwise go to, towards domestic programs. Having said that, to put it into some context, this is still lower than what we used to be paying to support development projects, economic security, and all sorts of support to uh, the West Bank and, and Gaza. So I guess it really depends on what it, what kinds of conditions it comes with, what kinds of metrics it comes with to gauge that the money is being well spent. Those are the kinds of uh, kinds of things I'd be interested in, regardless of what part of the world uh, aid was being sent to. Well, all right. Uh, let's get to the Reverend Boot. Are you confident this money will be well spent and go to uh, the points and purposes for which it's intended? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure even how you can really measure that, John, especially in that part of the world, uh, tracking how funding, government funding, uh, international aid is spent is notoriously difficult mm-hmm. uh, in developing countries. How you can measure uh, whether it's being used effectively, I would be agreeing with those critics who say that uh, really you're dealing with a bottomless pit in that part of the Middle East in terms of aid. Uh, and um, I think sometimes the West has to examine very carefully its motives in uh, supplying aid in a whole variety of contexts, to be honest with you. I mean, not just because of the fact that Canada is broke, the federal government is in debt, the provincial government's in debt, the city's in debt. I mean, we don't really have millions of dollars to be tossing around all over the place anyway, but it's often used as a tool of manipulation. Let's take, for example, it's uh, slightly off point, but uh, the African countries... Uh, many of the Western countries threaten the removal of aid if uh, they do not go along with our uh, agenda for uh, gender equality, sexual equality, um, gender fluidity, and so forth. And we threaten these countries with removal of our aid packages. 
So I think uh, a, a good examination of motives is important, but I don't think you can track how this money is going to be spent. But aid spent. should come with conditions. I mean, that... Of course it should. That's what I mean when I say that there needs to be metrics that gauge whether the aid is actually going where it's supposed to be going. I'm not sure which African countries you're referring to. I mean, some of these countries, Uganda in particular, has passed a notorious bill uh, that I think in its original formulation would have, called Kill the Gays Bill, by the way, would have meant the death penalty for so-called aggravated homosexuality. Yes, yeah, so, that's life imprisonment. For now it's life imprisonment. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean... That's not much better, but the government pressure on them, perhaps the withdrawal of aid threat, might have actually saved some people's lives. So I sure, think it's you're not- making a moral judgment there, though, Justin, aren't you, about how Africa, well, I am, how Africa should behave I think over do- against yeah, how well, Canada I think Canada behave. does have an imperative. So what if, right do we have? If foreign nations are going to accept aid, uh, that we do have an interest in promoting uh, human rights, uh, so I'm still trying to understand how, where we get the moral the values, authority. The values of Canada abroad. Where well, do we get, country does just, this, Joe. Every where do we get promo- the moral authority? Every country promotes their, their sense of right and wrong, okay, and they might differ on, on what that is, but they, every country promotes their values abroad. There's nothing wrong about So wait a minute, why don't that. we That's say to the, the Palestinians, you get your 66 million or you get your 650 million over 15 years or whatever, but you're going to need to do X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't seem like they're doing that. Am I uh, wrong? It should come with X, Y, and Z. Rockets still come out of Gaza into Israel. I mean, what difference does it make? In the end, you, you've ducked the question of Western imperialism. What gives Canada the right to dictate to Africa how it should deal with issues of sexual ethics in Africa? Is your moral, give me the basis for your moral authority being superior to that of Uganda. If we, I mean, you want to try to bait me into a conversation here about cultural relativism, the origin of morals. Well, I'm just asking you to re- justify re- what you just said. Ultimately, whether we require religion or belief in God to be able to have an objective moral system, and, I, and I'm not interested in having that debate. What I'm interested in doing is seeing the values of Canada, which I happen to espouse and agree with, uh, pluralism, democracy, fundamental human rights. I think well, if, like if our if Supreme we, Court if, if, just if gave you us and last I, year If with you and I agree that speech. those are good values, we may differ on why we justify those values. You might have a religious interpretation and be a secular one. But if we agree those are human values, then why shouldn't we be promoting them across the, the globe to all human beings? Well, well it uh, seems all, uh, to me that we've just cut a check to uh, the Palestinian cause or whatever, mm-hmm. and we hand that over to... You know, in the Palestinian Authority, Abbas, but the Gaza folk are Hamas. I mean, we know, uh, do we really know how that money is being earmarked? Are we just being played for international patsies? That's a legitimate question. All right. Uh, but I don't think it's specific to the aid to the Palestinian Authority. Well, I think that, uh, as I said, if you look at um, other countries as an example, places like Pakistan, for example, how can you possibly track in these contexts what is being done with the aid? Very often this aid disappears through corrupt government officials. It just mm. vanishes. Mm. And uh, h- how much money are Western governments going to pour into Palestine? It's millions and millions and millions every year. And it's not just Canada. It's the United States. It's Great Britain. It's other uh, European countries. It's a bottomless pit. And so I'm saying that we have to ask very serious questions about what the purpose of all of this aid is, given the fact that we need to solve our own debt problems right here in Canada. Well, we know that there is a relationship between uh, prosperity, economic success, and all sorts of improvements in, in creating stable societies. So if our interest is, say, in furthering the peace process between Palestinians and Yeah, but you're assuming money creates a stable economic- society, well, what I'm saying it is doesn't. That, I haven't finished yet. One of the conditions I would put on this kind of money would be that it should go towards some sort of economic stability. So not just 
you know, experimental programs, but actually helping people find jobs. And if that can improve their economic well-being, I think you, you create conditions where a peace process might be potentially more, more fruitful. Otherwise, worst case scenario is uh, they're using our money to fund rockets to fire into Israel. Right, so and, we're paying. Uh, the West's yeah. uh, uh, track record here in the last uh, 25, 30 years of, of job creation in the Middle East and uh, stable state building and the imposition of our democratic ideals, or at least what they, what's left of them, uh, on other parts of the world aren't exactly scattered with glory right now. No, but the uh, point is, you asked me, why would I justify this? I mean, we all have a shared concern. Let's put aside my point earlier about promoting what I think are humanist values that everybody should enjoy. But if our interest is in having a stable world, I mean, clearly we agree that we all have an interest in that. Sure. Then anything that benefits stability, anything that in this case benefits the, the peace process in the Middle East, is worth trying out. In that context, I don't think this amount of money is is, is a bottomless pit as it was described earlier. I but don't the, think it's but the money. I think it's, a, it's a worthy attempt. At, all right, at let me, let me see if some folks agree with that. Again, uh, it's just top of mind because Harper's in Israel and he also brought with him uh, some money bags. Canadians, you know, they're putting up this money. Let's not kid ourselves that somehow it materializes in the government coffers. It's our money, sixty-six million to uh, over five years. So you're talking three hundred million since uh, it's going to be approximating a billion dollars. Uh, shortly, since 1993, money well spent to the Palestinian cause. Nobody denies that that part of the world needs stability. Is that a way of doing it, or is it money down a black hole that we have no idea, no accountability, and uh, perhaps, in fact, could be doing rendering a disservice to peace and stability in the region with our largesse? There's that. There's a whole lot more, too. I just thought we'd send out... Uh, a notice on that story and see if anybody bites. Do you think that this is money well spent or ill spent? 870-6400 if you wanted to uh, get in. Star 640 on cell with uh, the Reverend Joe Boot and Justin Trache. Got a lively discussion going this morning. Then we'll turn to the hiring practices of the Ontario Public Service. And a transgendered man caught in a pregnancy fight with a clinic down in Massachusetts. Whale of a story this. Uh, the guy from Toronto will have to tell you the details. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will have an opinion on that one shortly too. All right, let's get back into it. The Reverend Joe Boot and Justin Trottier. And uh, one of the points we've lit on here, we've got a couple of other areas I wanted to get into, some salacious stuff. But uh, right now, Palestinian aid. We just cut a check for $65, 66000000 million to the Palestinian cause. And uh, some people would say, well, hey, that's uh, an investment in peace. Others would say, well, that's just throwing it down a rabbit hole or a black hole. How do you see it? We put in uh, aid close to a billion dollars or about, I believe, $850 million since 1993. Uh, money well spent or not. Given that we've also got austerity programs and considerations at home and people are going without, how do you assess it? John, good morning. Morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I guess I'll just go down the list. Uh, Iraq, trillion spent, failed state. Uh, Libya, overthrown, billion spent, failed state. Tunisia, failed state. Egypt, failed state. Billion spent. And thanks, Harper. You just told me i got to retire at 67 now instead of 65. Let's send some more money over there. Amen. Very good point. All right. Well, thanks for making it. Uh, to George in Mississauga, what's your take, George? Yeah, my, my take is that at, at, at first it sounds like a good gesture. But what, no, you know, what, 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 thinking about it, it, it really is a bottomless pit because... Number one, you have no way of knowing whether the money is is is, is going to the way, what you given it for, right? And I think what they probably should do instead of just giving money out, have something like the DART team. You know, the DART team. You have a team that you send somewhere and they actually justify whether providing water. I think the aid should be in the form of that kind of thing, where you at least you can monitor. You know that it's going where you want it to go, but by just throwing the money there. 
it, it, you know, there's no way you're not gonna you're not getting any additional love or from 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 these countries, and it it you have no way of knowing exactly where it's going. And like the gentleman just said, you know, where we have all this, we need money in Canada here to satisfy our debt problem. I mean, it, 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 it's it's rather a waste. All right, I got your point. So your so, point. Supporting, you know, international NGOs like Doctors Without Borders that have transnational accountability, including to host countries that are funding them, and that's a really great idea. And that's the problem. I mean, in places like Gaza, for example, under Hamas, uh, as much as they like to purport that they're a democratically elected government, it's usually that one vote, one time, and uh, now they run the roost like a bunch of warlords. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's a thugocracy. <laughs> We're pouring money into that. Uh, there is no guarantee. I mean... We can say all, attach all kinds of riders and conditions to the aid, but at the end of the day, uh, boy, is anybody confident that it's going to end up where it's needed? Uh, so that leads the, to the bigger question of whether or not you know uh, foreign aid in this regard is a good investment, or is it just maybe assuaging uh, Western liberal guilt? Joe Boot, you're nodding. Do you think that's what's playing out here? Do you want? Well, that's what I suggested during the break, and I uh, I'll stick with that, John. That, <laughs> Sorry um, to call you up like that. <laughs> No, but I, I do think that uh, some of these things, not all, but some of these things are a reflection of a sense of uh, a Western guilt that we're supposed to feel about our history. Um, the intellectuals talk about uh, post-colonialism and so on and so forth. And this idea that the, the uh, European and North American uh, cultures and nations are responsible for all the world's ills and we should pay for it. And we should pay reparations internationally for all this. It's all part of the cultural Marxist paradigm that we need to equalize things globally and that we identify the oppressor nations and that we are included in that lot and therefore we should pay. And I think sometimes these things involve a psychology of guilt towards other parts of the world which need to take responsibility politically, economically for themselves. And uh, some not truth. just stand there with their hands out. There's some truth to, the, truth to that. But in terms of political motivations, I would look more locally at the fact that Harper was on a trip where he his first trip to the Middle East, where he was addressing the Israeli parliament and is well known, at least back home in Canada, for being a staunch supporter and friend of Israel. And I think he wanted to uh, go some way towards balancing out that support. As you know, Canada, the U.S. and other Western countries give a lot of financial aid and other military and other kinds of aid to Israel. And I think he was thinking... This is a way to to perhaps uh, do a bit of both. Okay, a little balancing act to the tune of $65 million a year for the next five. Larry, money well spent, yes or no? Uh, No, man. I think that they should be taking that money, putting it back into our own tax system, and, uh, you know, maybe raising our wages. Oh, all right. Better things with that money. All right. Well, I don't know how it raises the wages. Uh, that distribution is only going to go so far. But Dean on the 401, last word on this one before we move to other matters. What do you say? Not a chance, Johnny. We have a problem here in Canada with no money. Ontario is bleeding, uh, no work. Kids are starving in some parts of the Canada. Until we feed every child in Canada, no money should be leaving. What do we gain from giving Palestine money? And that guilt stuff? Get, get rid of it. That was England and Europe that did the guilt. We did nothing to the Palestinians except for help them and support them. Look at Haiti. How much money we give Haiti? They still look like there was an earthquake yesterday. So I'm tired of giving all these countries money when we have no money here. And I agree with the last guy. Increase our wages then. How about that? Instead of giving helping other people that we get nothing from and we're supporting terrorists. Well, I guess so the question, globally, are we our brother's keepers? I mean, that's the Christian ethos right there, Joe Boot. 
<laughs> Thank well, you. Well, I would say that the uh, uh, we are responsible to be concerned for our brother. First of all, though, it's the uh, our, we're responsible biblically for our family. My first responsibility is to my wife and children. Then it's to my local community. Then to the nation. And from a Christian perspective, yes, what I'm responsible for is spreading truth. Uh, not necessarily redistributing by state coercion wealth. Don't forget, everything the state does, it does by coercion. We're not talking about missionary activity here. We're not talking about missionary hospitals and orphanages and schools and so forth, which I would absolutely support the church and private institutions supporting, and in fact do, uh, both personally and uh, as a church. We support missions all over the world. But do I support the coercive confiscation of wealth to redistribute for uh, dubious political ends? No. All right. Well, that was uh, rather emphatic. Yeah, I want to talk about redressing historic wrongs. Uh, here's a story close to home where the uh, Ontario Public Service put out uh, a notice the other day. And in fact, uh, we got first wind of it and uh, discussed it on the air. I noticed a lot of other media outlets sort of followed suit uh, where they were asking in one particular arm of the uh, public service, all MGS employees, um, whatever that is, uh, the Ministry of... Uh, General services or something? Uh, government services. Government services, yeah. Uh, they want applications from black female administrative employees for the administrative internship pilot program. Uh, this was announced back in December. The program, one example of the OPS's commitment to become a more inclusive organization. But they specify you must self-identify as a black female and also have a background with OPSU, the union. What do we make of this hiring practice, Justin? I got to ask you. I mean, this—the idea is to reflect diversity in the community, the right. broader community, and also perhaps. Uh, can we call this a quota system? It's affirmative action, isn't it? I think it is, and as such, it it becomes morally pl- problematic, at least for me. Uh, I think any time you treat people as simply representatives of a group and assign all the qualities of that group to those people, and that's what that that's the kind of racist or sexist assumption that often underpins these kinds of affirmative action approaches, there's a problem. Uh, because uh, individuals should be looked at as individuals. If you're looking at redressing uh, disadvantage, uh, then look at individuals. Look at individuals who have been disadvantaged, but to simply assume that because of a person's membership in a given racial or, or gender group, that therefore they are by definition disadvantaged, and anybody who's in the majority group uh, racial or gender uh, majority group are, are advantaged. Um, it strikes me as 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 implicit as an implicit form of racism and sexism that really doesn't do anything to uh, uh, to redress uh, uh, other genuine forms of, of racism and, and, and sexism. All right. Have you got a bell, John? Because I actually agree with something. Justin yeah, just there you go. I was going to ring that. Just, that happens from actually, time to time. I just agree with that. The, uh, the we uh, I think this is profoundly patronizing to black women. My, yes. my first question would be: Given the Canadian context these days, can I self-identify as a as a as a black female and apply for this job? Because the fluidity that we're trying to introduce into our culture brings mm. us to this kind of absurdity. But you're absolutely right. This is affirmative action. And it means that the culture moves from being a meritocracy uh, to um, a a uh, victim-oriented society, which, again, like the last uh, subject we were dealing with, tries to divide the world up into oppressor and oppressed classes. Do you think we're past the victimhood stage because some would hold on to uh, the the need for affirmative action and... You know, filling spots, they say, uh, reflecting diversity of the community, and it's necessary to sort of bring those numbers up. 
Uh, <laughs> well, we need programs to deal with this. I'm not suggesting that we're past racism or sexism. I'm just saying you can't fight historical racism or sexism with state-sponsored racism or uh, sexism. Oh, we need okay. so, educational programs. We right. need other. We need reforms. Raise consciousness. We, yes, I just yeah. don't think you can legislate or regulate uh, people's prejudices out of existence. Those are prejudices that are illegitimate are dealt with in ways other than regulation and affirmative action. It's done nothing for, for, for American blacks. In fact, I would say it's, it's put that community in the, running in the opposite direction mm-hmm. economically and in, um, in terms of their families. In many respects, some would argue it's destroyed black families in the United States. Let me talk about identity in another light. This is an interesting story. A transgender Toronto man, uh, from female to male, uh, has been locked in a battle with a Massachusetts healthcare facility because... He wanted to become impregnated, and uh, they were delaying it, installing it, even though they're the, uh, I guess, one of the top places in the world where you can go to have this done. And they claim that you know they're very uh, amenable to you know transgendered individuals and helping them in their regard. But he was rendered too masculine to have a baby, and they told him to get off the testosterone. So taking the treatments and too far along. Nonetheless, he went to another clinic and did have a child, but uh, di- identifies as a man. Wanted to get pregnant, in fact, did get pregnant. Uh, the reason he took this facility or he's uh, locked in this uh, dispute with him is because he's going to require their facilities down the road, I guess, to continue his treatment. And he wanted to make sure that they wouldn't shut him out and uh, discriminate against him. If you're following the story, again, in a nutshell, the real nub of it is transgendered from female to male, but still had the female parts intact, so could become impregnated and went that route. It sets up to me kind of, a, I don't know, a, a dilemma here. If you really want to be uh, identified as one, you can't have it both ways. I, I don't mean to be unduly harsh here, but isn't this almost like wanting your cake and eating it too? Justin? I don't really see a problem from it, from that, with it from that point of view. Um, but I do think that clearly we have to be you know, reasonable and practical here. In the case of a transgendered individual, uh, there are going to be complexities to... Uh, bringing about pregnancy. And I think this particular health institute, it's my understanding that they were not equipped to deal with transgendered patients. And uh, concerns of of equality are important, but we can't endanger people's health and well-being. So uh, he was, uh, he he did find the services he required at a different institute. He was able to get pregnant. Um, The original health institute's now looking at, I believe they are setting up a program for transgendered patients. I think everybody, you know, gets what they want out of this. So I'm not really sure why there's a big controversy here. Well, okay. When you say everybody gets what they want, in the broader context of a society, uh, do we say whatever you can accommodate, uh, let's go there full tilt? Or do we need to rein this in and maybe institutions or this clinic is right in denying him the treatment? Look, he went elsewhere and he got it. So evidently, I guess, if you can pay the freight or there's somebody who's willing to accommodate. But what is it? Joe Boot, a, a person who identifies now as a male gets impregnated, uh, wants to have a child. I mean, is that not having, on, wanting John, it boldly? I mean, every, you know, listener here surely recognizes this is just part of the theater of the absurd that we've created for ourselves. I think the first uh, operations of this sort were done at John Hopkins in the, the United States. I'm going from memory rare, but I think that's the case. And many of the intellectuals involved in those early uh, operations now uh, question the validity of doing such things. First of all, you presu- well, this whole thing presupposes the validity of the idea of such a thing as being transgendered, the idea that somebody who is a, is a, a male 
was it male to f- wants to become a fi- was no, female? female? Female to male, but held it wants still to has become enough, a male. Still has more, yeah, the parts that allow her right, and uh, uh, that that such a person is not actually suffering and needs another form of of treatment. That this is actually a psychosis. Uh, this is much more realistic. Now, the question becomes, who is paying for this? Who's paying for all of these operations? I'm presuming this is uh, not private funding again here. Boy, I don't uh, know any indication of that. I'm not sure why that's important. If we were to assume... Well, that we're assuming that if we're going to sponsor, if, this, if the taxpayer is going to pay mm. to to sponsor a view of humanity that says there is this gender fluidity, there is these, this transgender uh, identity, that people can have babies, watch it whichever way they... Today I'm this, next week I'm that. But if you think these individuals have a psychiatric disorder, then why would it matter if it's privately or publicly funded in terms of the the pregnancy? Wouldn't wouldn't in both cases you want to suggest that they go into treatment? But the fact of the matter is, I mean, I've met people who have undergone transgender uh, surgeries. And after the surgery, after they've adjusted uh, to, uh, uh, to the consequences of that, they are happier. They are able to lead more fulfilling lives, but so they Justin, report. Yes. So, it's not a, so it's not a disorder in the, in the sense that you might describe it. But if this individual uh, purposefully, and I mean, I'm not saying this uh, person treated this lightly, because if you're going down for the treatments and you're taking testosterone, you're a female biologically, but you're now transgender to male if I'm understanding, but you still then want to have a child, it's like you're straddling both sides of the equation. You still want some of the female identity, but you also want to be, I guess, when convenient or when you decide to be recognized as male, is this workable? How is that restorative well, in, a, in, any, in any person's life? Your anecdotal evidence there, Justin, without being rude, you're not a psychiatrist, you're no, not a not. psychologist, you don't have ex- sufficient exposure to But I think I do have the, the majority of, of psychiatrists people. on my side on this. I don't think we're uh, looking at uh, uh, transgender people too. I as... I think I would re- challenge that. Well, I think... I think you've got political correctness on your side, but I don't think that we are advancing You think the medical profession we're advancing sees transgender people as disordered? Is that, is that your assertion? I'm saying that there are, true. I think there are, there are people who involved from the very earliest point in these sex change operations at John Hopkins who doubt the validity of what you've what just said, really that they are better off afterwards. Do we see there being a male gender and a female gender, or do we see that... Well, is that uh, true or not? Is there male and female, or is there both and? I think there's a difference between gender identity and sex. I think that there are people who do straddle what we consider to be the uh, the stereotypical gender norms of male and female. I do. Right. So you can be both and, and so a man can have a baby and vice versa. I don't see anything wrong with it. If it if it makes this person you're clearly feel, not married with children. If, if it makes this person <laughs> it, feel like they can lead a a happier, more fulfilled life, and nobody is getting hurt, I really don't see a problem with. Yeah, it. I think hurt is the issue here. Harm is being done in this. Well, boy, that's an interesting discussion, too, uh, right across the board. There's still stuff we didn't get around to, but I appreciate the time, as always. Interesting insights in the culture clash. The Reverend Joe Boots, Senior Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Justin Trache, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.